Welcome back to Tumor Board with Hilario and Nish. I'm your co-host, Anish. And I'm Hilario. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into radiation oncology. We've mentioned before that we are radiation oncology residents, and we've talked about why we became interested in the field, but we haven't yet fully explained what radiation oncology involves and our role in different diseases. Oftentimes, we get a lot of questions from both the people in our lives and colleagues we work with, even on a daily basis, about what we do and if there's any role for radiation. So we hope these episodes serve um, as an explanation about our field and as a useful resource to our physician colleagues when they want to reach out to us. So with that, let's start with the basics. Hilario, what is radiation therapy and how does it work? Well, radiation is, uh, in layman's terms, is high energy x-rays, right? So if an individual gets a cast, it is x-rays that is passed through the whole body. And from that, you get, uh, you know, different attenuation of that x-ray and we get to produce an image of that person, right? Uh, in radiation oncology, we're using very high energy x-rays. And essentially, the, the reason why radiation is used in cancer is that radiation has two forms of like effect on cells, right, in our body. One is direct and one is indirect, right? So in, in terms of direct effect, right, high energy x-rays, it hits a cancer cell, for example, it causes DNA breaks in that, you know, cancer cell. And then that essentially is how we get to treat cancer cells or cancer cells die. Uh, and the indirect form of it is that radiation can also cause uh, the formation of what we call radicals, right? And if you remember anything from your, you know, med school or, or your, um, your college uh, biology classes, you know, uh, uh, free radicals can also cause damage to those cells and also is another way that, uh, you know, cells or especially cancer cells die. Uh, in very simple terms, essentially, cancer cells have very poor repair mechanisms, right? So uh, if a normal, uh, a normal cells get hit by, you know, ra radiation, uh, they're going to probably be better at repairing themselves than uh, a, a cancer cell, which is usually like has some kind of aberration and cannot really uh, repair itself properly. All right. So, so you're basically taking advantage of that difference in right. repair. Right. Okay. So we're, we're taking advantage of that nature of cancer cells, right? And cancer cells usually are proliferating. So the, the, they're going through changes and, and you, mm -hmm. we can use that as to our advantage when we give the radiation, right? Uh, to kind of kill those cells while also trying to preserve some of the function of the normal cells around, around them. So that is kind of the rough idea behind uh, radiation therapy uh, in our field. So in terms of the different types of radiation that we have, so in very general terms, right, there is a standard radiation and there's what we would sometimes, I guess, for the purposes of this podcast, I'll call internal radiation. External beam radiation essentially means that the radiation source where you're getting that x-rays directed at the tumor is coming from an outside the patient's body, right? 
So sometimes you see those radiation machines that has what we call a gantry, like an arm, right? And then it kind of rotates around the patient and depending on what the tumor is, if someone has, let's say, rectal cancer, it will be towards the pelvic area, right? And it, it sends the radiation or the x-rays towards where we've indicated that we need the radiation to go. So it has to go through the skin, right? And it goes through the body to get to the target that we want, right? Internal radiation, we also have a name called brachytherapy, right? So with brachytherapy, essentially we're saying that the radiation source is very close to our target. So usually the way we give that, that kind of radiation is that we bring the radiation source, you know, through several ways. Some of them we use needles, right? That we introduce into the target that we want, right? For So for mm. example, prostate cancer, right? You know, we usually have patients, uh, you know, on their backs, right? And then we introduce these hollow needles, right? Into the prostate uh, organ itself, right? And then mm-hmm. inside those hollow needles, we bring the radiation source to the prostate. So this is like, you know, from the inside out, right? And the other form was from the outside going in, right? So that is how, you know, that's the two main ways that we break down radiation. Right? And there is, you know, advantages and definitely disadvantages to each one of them. So we just discussed, you know, that, you know, we have two main forms, right? external beam radiation, and then what, you know, I classified as internal radiation or brachytherapy. Um, so is there any different types of, you know, external beam radiation or is there different types of brachytherapy? And how does the dose that we give people every day, how does that factor into the different types of radiation? Yeah, there are different types of this outside in or external beam radiation. Um, So we have what we call conventional treatment. And that is when we deliver 1.8 to 2 gray per fraction. And a fraction is another word for saying a treatment or a subpart of the treatment that is a part of the total treatment. So if we want to give someone 50 gray, that means and treat them in conventional way, that means we're going to give them maybe 25 treatments or 25 fractions. So they would be treated with right. a little bit of a dose um, once a day for that duration of time. Mm-hmm. There's another way to do it, um, and we can sometimes do something called hypofractionation, where we look at the tumor's bi- biology, and certain cancers respond better to giving a larger dose per day. And that way, the treatment duration could even be shorter. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we can compare the kind of dosages and different fractionation schemes with various things like biologically effective dose or EQD2, just certain stuff that we kind of talk about just to compare different dose fractionation schemes. And we get all this data from just evidence, trials and um, cellular evidence to see what could be effective. Right. There's a couple other ways in a similar vein, uh, where we call SBRT or stereotactic body radiation therapy and SRS or stereotactic radio surgery, where the goal is to give a really high dose, what we call an ablative dose. So a dose that is high enough to really cause a, um, a high amount of damage to that tumor. And that is when we give 
maybe a dose per fraction of at least more than five gray. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is to kill that tumor in a very small number of fractions and potentially that in some cases can offer a better benefit than the other ways we just mentioned. And so yeah. we typically, depending on what we're treating, we'll decide kind of how we want to treat it. Right. I think the obvious thing, at least for, you know, non-radons is that, or even from patients is that like, if there are, there are ways to give a, a relatively high dose of radiation and people can get their cancer cured mm. also be done quicker, why, why don't we do that for every cancer that we're going to treat, right? And, uh, you know, that primarily has to do with that type of cancer, the stage of the cancer, right? And whether there's actually evidence backing up that radiation scheme that we want to do for that individual, right? So I'll give the example of uh, prostate cancer. So prostate cancer, like traditionally, we had done about eight weeks of radiation, 80 gray in 40 fra fractions. So, so that's, a, that's, that's a long time. Uh, in modern times, if someone has a very low risk prostate cancer uh, or even intermediate risk prostate cancer where we're treating just the prostate and maybe part of the seminal vesicles, right? Uh, we can actually do more hypofractionated treatment, which is trying to give a little bit more radiation in each setting um, than the conventional way. So the reason why we're able to do that is because one, if if we're doing a hypofractionated radiation or SBRT for a patient, right? As you can imagine, if you're giving a higher dose of radiation to an organ, um, the chances that the surrounding structures will get a higher dose of radiation, right? It's higher. So if your target is small enough, right? And you're giving a higher dose radiation to that area, the chances that you're going to spread the radiation across normal structures is less so you know if you're going from say just a prostate organ right and then someone who needs radiation for just the prost for the prostate and then their lymph nodes which is a chain that goes all the way to l4 l5 right that's a big region mm -hmm. that we're going to be giving a lot of radiation to so in those cases we, we don't want to do that so that's one one way that we we, we decide whether we're going to do a higher you know those per fraction to a patient. Uh, another way is that even in, within prostate cancer, for example, if someone already has a lot of urinary problems, meaning they have BPH type symptoms as a result of their prostate size or say because of their cancer, right? Um, radiation sometimes can be irritative, right? So if you give a higher dose of radiation, it can cause a little bit more inflammation and they can tend to have more side effects with the treatment. So for someone, who is eligible for conventional radiation uh, or hypofractionated radiation where we're giving just a little bit above conventional or even SBRT, which is giving up to five gray or more. For someone who has a lot of urinary problems already, you probably don't want to do something like, like, like SBRT for. So that is how we're able to kind of distinguish the different schemes that we're going to give a patient. So when you talk to some of our colleagues, one of the things that they want to know, and even patients want to know, is that how long does the radiation take for it to work? What, what do you normally tell them? Yeah, what I always tell them is don't expect it to work immediately. 
it takes time to have an effect. And we typically think about at least a few days before you can really see change. So sometimes we get these consults where someone is bleeding, maybe they're bleeding um, and they have some blood in their urine, coughing. If they need an urgent intervention to work immediately, radiation is not going to do that. But radiation can help um, if there is a tumor or a compression, um, um, some sort of uh, injury related to that cancer that is occurring, it can help, but it will take a few days to at least um, have a noticeable effect. Right. So that's typically what we tell them. Mm -hmm. So that becomes important, I guess, like, you know, if someone is actively bleeding, like they have hemoptysis, right? As part of going through who to consult, I think like the priority is like maybe like some kind of interventional radiology procedure right. that can fix that problem like almost immediately, right? Versus yeah. the radiation oncology. And definitely if someone is bleeding slowly and especially if they can't get an interventional radi radiation procedure, right? Radiation is definitely a good option because, you know, within a few days, somewhere between 24 to 48 hours or so, right? We can start seeing some, some benefit. Some effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That they or at least like stabilize the patient, make sure they're, you know, in that case, maybe getting transfusion, whatever, mm -hmm. until supportive measures, until we see an effect happen. So I'm an internal doctor. I've heard a lot about definitive treatment you know, and palliation from my oncology colleagues. Can, can you explain kind of what definitive treatment means or curative treatment means and palliation, mm -hmm. what is involved and how do we decide when someone can get definitive treatment? Yeah, so I think it's easier to explain maybe the palliative treatment part first. Mm -hmm. And Usually what we mean by that is we want to help some type of symptom control. Mm -hmm. um, usually we think about a patient in the metastatic setting when the cancer spread um, mm -hmm. at least to a few different areas in the body, uh, at least yeah. a few sites of cancer. And it could be something like bony pain or a tumor that's pushing on the esophagus and it's just, it's um, effect impacting the patient ability to swallow and eat or something um, in the stomach that's causing gastric outlet obstruction. Um, it could be, um, uh, again, like we talked about, like um, perhaps they are having blood in the urine, some type of symptom relief um, of some sort is usually think about when we say palliation. And palliation does not necessarily mean end of life per se. There are definitely treatments that we do um, that we could potentially do in that setting, but it can really be in other sets of their disease course, even if they're relatively stable, but the cancer itself, perhaps is metastatic and just can't be cured, we can still do palliation. In the definitive setting. What we mean by definitive is we are treating them. Usually we're treating them with the intent to cure or control their disease. So if there is a cancer in early stage and sometimes radiation is a primary treatment option, like the first option, then we treat them to cure. We want to get rid of their cancer completely. Depending on the cancer, maybe we add chemotherapy with that. Maybe this is following surgery. Um, in that case, it would be adjuvant therapy. But um, the 
the the idea of a definitive treatment is to pretty much control that cancer. Gotcha. Yeah, so uh, and in addition to the different types, you kind of briefly mentioned adjuvant therapy, right? Yeah. So sometimes someone can get, say, surgery to have their cancer removed, right? And then they get radiation to that area where they had that surgery to reduce the yep. chance of the cancer coming back. So there are times where like, I feel like sometimes a patient might come, right? And... um they've had surgery, let's say, you know, breast cancer, they've had surgery, they've had their cancer removed, you know, from a lumpectomy, right? And they've had some sentinel lymph node biopsies to kind of make sure that the cancer hasn't spread to the lymph nodes, right? And it comes, oh, well, they, they removed my cancer, so why do I need radiation, right? So sometimes we do adjuvant therapy to prevent, even though there is nothing that we can see with our eyes or even on the microscope that there is any cancer left behind. Uh, we do those because historically, uh, from prior evidence and studies that we've had, if someone got sometimes got radiation after they had a very good surgery, we can prevent them from relapsing or have, getting the cancer come back again. Uh, mm -hmm. So that kind of sets the purpose within that definitive setting right and then another form is that sometimes we might do radiation before someone goes to surgery and the example that i, I guess i can give for that is say uh, esophageal cancer right where someone might get uh, uh, radiation with with chemotherapy for example right to kind of help the cancer either to shrink it or to to make the surgery successful and together that with the surgery uh, helps cure the, the, the individual. So sometimes the radiation can come before surgery and sometimes it can come after, after surgery. And then sometimes we can do radiation with chemotherapy together, uh, usually using the, the chemotherapy as what we call a radio sensitizer, meaning that it makes the radi the radiation works better, right? And mm -hmm. I like this example. This is silly because if you're boxing with someone, right, and they're, they're sober, right, it is a lot difficult to fight that person if you guys are both, both evenly matched, right? So you're punching them, right? So let's say punching them is, is radiation, right? And then say the person is drunk. If someone is drunk, from chemotherapy, right? And you're trying to punch them, right? It's easier to be someone who is drunk. So that's kind of how sometimes we think about, you know, radiation with chemotherapy. Like if you do both of them, then it, you're more successful in trying to uh, uh, alleviate the, the cancer. What other ways can we see uh, the importance of radiation? So what other avenues or what other scenarios where someone cannot get surgery? Like, how do we approach someone, someone like that? Yeah, someone who cannot get surgery. So they're inoperable, whether due to medical reasons like comorbidities or perhaps are surgically inoperable and the, the cancer is widespread or the tumor is invading certain structures, making the surgery technically challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and in that setting, then, you know, we look at chemotherapy and radiation um, and radiation therapy, again, is a local treatment. So it's a targeted therapy where we can direct the treatment, just like surgery. Um, the potential advantage in those settings, if 
surgery is too risky, we can still give a local targeted treatment. Um, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk to the surgeons just to make sure sometimes to see would they have wanted to remove that certain area. So should we treat that area as well? Sometimes we may add chemotherapy with the radiation um, and we kind of evaluate everything, but it is a, definitely a good alternative option. Right. And, and so, you know, even in like lung cancer, for example, a lot of patients, um, even early stage lung cancer, sometimes they just can't get surgery. Maybe they just have poor lung function. And in that case, like an early stage lung cancer, something like SBRT can offer really good rates of cancer control um, in that patient population. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I think another one that uh, is fairly common that they might be inoperable is cholangiocarcinomas. They're relatively rare, mm -hmm. but usually mm -hmm. when, when they happen, they tend to be extensive. And, you know, especially when they're close to vessels, right, it's not easy to just go and resect it because there's no way to really fix those blood vessels without causing damage to the patient. So those those are also another scenario where we would do radiation with some combination of chemotherapy or without chemotherapy. The other thing that I can think of uh, with the use of radiation is actually non-oncological, right? So there are other benign diseases that we can mm -hmm. also treat. Um, that yeah, and, the, and... I think one of the more hot topics is <laughs> like high dose radiation to cardiac arrhythmias that are refractory to right. yeah like last resort treatment for uh, like patients where electrophysiology type treatments are not working mm -hmm. so that's kind yeah. of a hot thing um yeah. there's even that's definitely on the that's definitely on the frontier of uh, radiation oncology yeah that's definitely cool, on the right? frontier definitely on the frontier uh, and um, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of places that do that right uh so no not a whole lot of places but i think <laughs> it's definitely coming up there's also even um like benign neurologic diseases like depression or parkinson's that some centers mm -hmm. do a lot of like high dose radiation treatment to the brain to those specific areas and they work with a neurologist so there's right. a variety of these um benign diseases that yeah right. we can treat Right. I, I guess like uh, probably the more common ones are keloid, right? Like we can also yeah, treat keloid. keloid for, I forgot example, about that. <laughs> keloid is something that we can easily treat with radiation. People who have heterotopic ossification where mm -hmm. they have um, a growth of uh, uh, bone in their hip area, especially if they're getting hip surgery, or that may be what actually caused their hip. Uh, problems is uh, before they have surgery, sometimes we can do radiation to prevent them from forming those bone spurs in their groin and to cause them to have more pain. I mean, technically, the meningiomas are also benign diseases, right? So uh, that's another pathology that we can also treat. And there's like, definitely like other things like <laughs> pituitary adenomas, right? Uh, and, yeah, like, that is stuff like neuromas. Uh, Right. The um, Scandinavian deuterans contracture. I, uh, I might be mispronouncing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, contract. yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. work so, done on that. Mm -hmm. And then Graves, Graves disease, right? If mm -hmm. people have azathamas, that is not resolving with treatment and it's, you know, causing like um, 
issues with like the astroocular muscles moving. Sometimes we can do radiation to kind of arrest that deformity uh, as well. So uh, mm -hmm. th this, those are some of the ways that, you know, we use radiation. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the overview. We talked about the different types of radiation delivery, right? Uh, we talked about some of the indications of radiation. So say you saw a patient uh, and he decided that you want to go ahead and give them radiation and the patient is agreeable after you've talked about some of the side effects and, and stuff like that. What are the steps that you, you go through uh, in, in discussing uh, or, or getting them to start the treatment? Yeah, the first step once we decide is we schedule the patient for simulation. In other words, a planning session for the radiation. So it's kind of like a, a mock treatment, so to speak, where they come in and we position them on a, um, there's a certain machine that we call the simulation machine. It's usually like a CT. Mm -hmm. And we have them lie down on the table and we position them in a way uh, that is reproducible so that when they come in for treatment, we position them that same exact way with the same coordinates, same location on the table, um, and they'll be in that position throughout the whole treatment. For example, right. if we're treating a prostate, um, we'll position them on the table, we'll immobilize them so that, again, during treatment, they're not moving. And we get an image of that area that we're going to treat. So for prostate cancer, we'll get an images of their pelvis and we then use those images in our own time. We plan the treatment, and this is what we call contouring. So we basically kind of draw on the structures. We map out what we want to treat, and we map out what we don't want to treat. And what we don't want to treat is something called organs at risk. So all the normal, healthy organs around the area you want to treat that we don't want radiation going to. So it could be like the bladder, the bowel, uh, the rectum. You know, normal structures we don't want to cause any adverse effects to. And this is for a prostate cancer patient, right? Yeah, because... that would be for a prostate cancer. And that would change for every different cancer. For a cancer of your head and neck, it could be your salivary glands. It could potentially be your, your larynx, your voice box, um, and your eyes, your, you know, your orbital areas, right? So things that we wouldn't want to um, treat unless that is our target. Right. Um, we then, so we contour all these structures and we send our structures to a dosimetrist. So dosimetrists or our physicists, they work in the background. So the patients usually don't meet them, but they are uh, definitely very, very valuable part of our team and right. treatment can't be done without them. So right. they look at what we mapped out and they kind of plan the treatment. And by planning, I mean, they help figure out how do we arrange the beams in what orders and where should the, the gantry or the machine be rotated to and what angles and for how long in each angle in a way that can deliver an effective and safe treatment. And we have something called like constraints or dose constraints. And basically they just help make sure that every organ is meeting this kind of threshold criteria so that the dose we're giving them is safe to tolerate to each organ. <clears throat> so after the symmetries or physicists plan the treatment, you know, we kind of have a back and forth. 
they might ask us a couple of questions. Hey, this doesn't look great. This organ is getting a lot of dose and we use our clinical judgment and decide kind of what to do. So we have our back and forth and ultimately they have a plan ready to go and the patient comes back in for treatment. Um, and depending on the treatment, like we said before, it could be like once a day and they'll come in once a day with that plan delivered. All right. So based on what you're saying, depending on the person's cancer and how easy or difficult it takes to plan that someone you want to treat may actually not be able to start radiation on the same day that you simulate it, right? And they mm-hmm. may, may take some time to come up with a good plan for that. And that actually is different if someone is getting palliative radiation versus someone who is getting treated in a different setting. And we can talk about that in the second part of this series, right? Yeah. So um, is there anything that you want to ask? What are the things that you need to consider when you consult your neighborhood uh, radiation oncologist? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think, uh, think it's important for people to kind of get a better idea of how the process of radiation works. Um, And we see a lot of cancer patients and it's a very multidisciplinary field. So um, I think getting an idea of what we do is, can be really useful for you if you ever encounter a patient with any type of cancer. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll see you guys in the second part of, uh, of this series. Um, this is just a plug that, you know, if, uh, if you're watching from the YouTube, you, you can subscribe to our channel uh, and, you know, help us. Be, be able to get to other other audiences or people that are similar to you uh, and help us become popular so that we can keep doing what we're doing here. Uh, if you are listening on podcasts or you know, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, you can also subscribe uh, and like and rate us uh, if you like what we're, we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, we'll see you guys in, in the second uh, episode of this series. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Uh...